Look at God's Word, Revelation 2. We're talking about the church in Thyatira. I encourage you to find your place in God's Word. We're going to start in verse 18 and walk through this today. But we're looking at a church that imploded. And we'll define that here more in just a moment. A number of years ago, Ains and I were in southern Utah. And uh, I was playing some golf, and I saw an advertisement about a golf course in southern Utah that said it was Augusta of the West. So I told Angel, well, we need to play that. If it's like that, i gotta, I got to go do it. So I go, and, and we're on the golf course, and we finish a hole, and we're driving to the next hole, and I take a phone call. So I'm on the phone, pull up to the tee on the next hole. Beautiful hole because there's rocks all to the side. And as I look up, there was a golf cart coming up behind us, and when I turned around and saw the person on the golf cart, wasn't your typical golfer because this guy had a hard hat on. And I thought, well, there's some bad golfers out here but I didn't know you needed to wear a hard hat. So come to find out, he said, hey, I'm not playing golf. I guess you know that. He said, but we're getting ready to do an explosion not far from here, and so you either need to do a couple of things if you can go ahead and play and get out of this area because this is a secured area, or if you don't have much to do and you want to be a part of it, you can hang out with me and watch something explode. And he said, I promise you this, it's going to be about 30 minutes from now, because i got to make sure this area is secure. And he said, it will be big and it will be loud. And I said, amen and amen. <laughs> I like it. So I said, well, I told Angie, I'm not interested in playing golf anymore. I want to see something blow up. So uh, it's just a kid in me right there. So we hung out with this guy for the next 30 minutes. And he talked about he's on the radio with people. Hey, I've got the area secured. Got a couple with me. They're going to watch this with me. So finally, it's 20 minutes, 15 minutes, 10 minutes. Got down to five minutes. And we're excited. And then we go down to a minute, and then he gets down 10, 9, 8, 7, and goes all the way through. When he gets to zero, boom. I mean, it exploded. Rocks and dust and stuff went everywhere. And this big cloud of dust was coming toward us, and we had to hit the floor pedal on the gas pedal on the golf cart to get out of that. But it was exciting to see something blow up. And so, so much for golf after that. It was a nice golf course, by the way, too. But it was exciting to see them. They were building a road, and they had to blow up some land and uh, just some rocks. And so it was pretty fascinating to see that. Powerful explosives blew up that dirt and that rock and, and then ultimately make that road. Here's what we know when you come to buildings. Sometimes you've been able to see videos of this. Maybe you've seen it with your own eyes that there's a building that is going to be torn down because there's going to be a new development going in that place. And so they go in there, experts. They put explosives in certain places. They're going to implode this building. And so there's a crowd gathered in a safe place, and there's the countdown, and then at the right time, someone hits the switch or the button, whatever it may be. The explosives go off, and this tall building starts crumbling to the ground. Dust is going everywhere. And generally what happens is this. You're going to find some people who may be weeping because they have memories of being in that building for some specific purpose, but also you're going to find other people who are clapping cheering and celebrating because this high-rise building now is leveled to the ground an implosion here's what i say though when i look at revelation chapter 2 there are times you're going to see friendships implode there are times you're going to see marriages implode there are going to be times you're going to see churches implode and let me say, when you see a friendship or relationship implode or a marriage implode or a church implode, there's not cheering, there's not celebrating, there's weeping when you see that. 
As I think about your life today, maybe your life is imploding. When I think about your marriage, maybe your marriage is imploding. And here's what I can say about many marriages. I've seen many marriages in pastoral ministry implode over the years. Oftentimes, here's what happened. Let me give you a little insight here when it comes to marriages. If you want to have a strong, healthy, biblically functioning marriage, I'd encourage you to pay attention to these words. Because when I see marriages implode, oftentimes it has to do with how they handle conflicts and disagreements in the marriage relationship. And here's what I mean by that, because we bring a competitive spirit into the marriage relationship. And so when we have conflicts and disagreements, we're trying to solve those. And so one person in the marriage says, I want to win the disagreements. I want to win the argument. I want to walk away saying, I defeated you and I won. We may not say those words, but I want to win the argument. Here's what happens. I've seen this again and again in life. You may win the argument. You may win the issue only for your marriage to lose. I've seen that over and over because that's where they implode. I want to encourage you to make sure when you have conflicts and disagreements, make sure it's not about if you win or he wins or she wins, but make sure that the marriage wins. That's what you're looking for. Healthy marriages. Same is true in churches. I've seen churches have disagreements and conflicts, and instead of those being resolved where unity is present, those churches implode. Here's what we know about Thyatira. Different city than Ephesus, Smyrna, some of the other ones. It was the smallest of the seven cities, located about 40 miles from some of these other churches. Interesting about the church in Thyatira, the smallest city may have been the smallest church, but it had the longest letter. Jesus had more to say to them than he did the other churches. When you think about Thyatira, we know from Clarksville, there have been famous people who come from our city to do great things. There was a famous resident that came from the city of Thyatira. Anybody know who it might be? We find her in the book of Acts. It's Lydia. Lydia came from Thyatira. She was a dealer in purple cloth. There was a lot of trade industry in Thyatira, but she heard the gospel. She got saved in her household. So Jesus is still saving people. And if you're in the room or watching and you don't have a relationship with Christ as we just celebrated believer's baptism, there's one way to be saved and his name is Jesus. He's the only one who can forgive your sins allow you to be born again, have the assurance that you're going to go to heaven. And when you come to Jesus in your life and he saves you and changes your life, you repent of your sins and you trust him, then we encourage you to follow Jesus in believer's baptism and be obedient to him and let other people know that Jesus is the Savior and Lord of your life. And so we encourage you to make that decision. But Lydia came from the city of Thyatira. Interesting too when you're looking at Revelation 2. Jesus has some strong words to this church because on the inside, they're imploding. You'll know this. Many churches will implode not because of pressure from the outside. Persecution makes us stronger. You can go around the world and you can see believers who are persecuted and they are strong in their relationship with the Lord, strong in their faith and their unity among themselves as God's people is strong as well. So you don't implode because of persecution from the outside. You implode because of the vision from the inside. Because there are things that go on in the life of that church that the enemy is using that will cause that church to implode. And we're going to talk about those over the next number of minutes from Revelation chapter 2. The church at Thyatira, the imploding church. I want to encourage you to write these words down as we walk through God's word. 
I'm not going to give you the negative side of this. I'm going to give you the positive side of this because I want you to follow along what I'm saying because we want to do these things. But here's how the enemy operates. He will plant explosives in the context of the church. I'm not talking about dynamite, those type things. But here's what happens. They can implode and then the church can find themselves in a very, very tough place. Look at number one. Follow Jesus closely. I want to give you this word when you look at this text here. We as a church, again, our vision statement is we exist to, to worship God and to love people and to share Jesus and make disciples. That's who he's called us to be. Follow Jesus closely. In Revelation 2, he says, and to the angel, talking about to the messenger, to the pastor of the church, and Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Jesus, before he gives them some affirmation, but also some correction, he is revealing himself to this body of believers, the church in Thyatira. Here's what I'm going to give you these three words. Here's how he reveals himself. Number one is authority. He says what? Talking about him being the son of God. That's the only place in the book of Revelation referenced as the son of God. And what that means is Jesus has all authority. And the Great Commission, that's what he says. I have all authority. And so we need to realize, and we're talking about Jesus, the son of God, the son of man, the savior of the world. He, he's not limited in his power. He has all power. He has all authority because why? He is the son of God and he wants this church to know that. Second word is awareness. He says to them, not only is he the son of God, but he says, who has eyes like a flame of fire. What is Jesus saying is he sees everything. He's ultimately going to say, I know everything that you're doing. I know all of your works, but he sees everything. You don't catch him off guard. You don't surprise him in your life. You don't realize he, he knows everything about your life, everything about your thought life, every behavior you do. He knows everything because he is aware and what's he doing with the church in Thyatira? It's very convicting, but he's given them the look as the savior of the world and the head of the church. You remember Peter, when Peter denied him, Peter went outside and Jesus and Peter locked eyes with each other. Jesus didn't have to say anything. He just looked at Peter. What did Peter do? He wept bitterly because he knew he had been found out. He had sinned against the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you, you husbands, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you're driving down the road and your wife just looks at you. She don't have to say anything. You know that something is going on because she just gave you the look. Can I get a witness from anybody? Anybody tracking here with me today? So you know what that look is. Kids, you know this. Your parents sometimes do not have to say a single word to you. All they have to do is look at you and you know that you're getting ready to be called on the carpet for something. And you know generally what it is. It's just, it's just about the look. So he has authority, but he also has awareness. He's got these eyes, and he's looking at this church because he's getting ready to correct them. Third word is the word anger. And when I use the word anger, I'm not talking about an unrighteous anger. It's a righteous anger because it talks about holiness, but also about judgment. And when you look at this, he's a son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze is talking about holiness and anger for him. And he's going to say that in the context of this church because here's what was happening in the church. They were exalting personalities more than they were him as the savior. I want to challenge us as a church. Here's how the enemy operates. He will plant explosives to implode the church inside the people of God. And oftentimes, one of those explosives he uses is when we exalt personalities, programs, possessions, more so than we do the Savior, the head of the church, who is Jesus Christ. 
happens all the time. Let me give you a word of caution. How many times do you and I, and you have to watch this, I have to watch this in my own life. How many times do we go to a conference or to an event, even a spiritual conference, spiritual event? And, and, and again, we, we had somebody who was singing that was incredible, somebody who was speaking, it was amazing. The service was incredible, maybe like some we'd never been to before. And if we're not careful, here's what happens. We walk away from that conference, from that event, from that seminar, and what do we talk about? He or she, a very gifted singer. He, amazing, amazing preacher, speaker. Service was un- incredible. And what do we do? We lift up those personalities. We can talk about the singer, the speaker, the service, and never mention Jesus in that conversation. Again, we want to receive encouragement, there's no doubt. Praise the Lord, somebody can sing. Let's encourage that brother or sister in Christ. Thank the Lord that he rightly divided the word of truth. Let's encourage that brother in Christ. The service was incredible. Let's thank the Lord that he allowed us to be a part of that. But at the end of the day, we're not exalting a personality. We're exalting the Savior who is Jesus himself. That's why John 3.30 is so critical for us that Jesus must increase and we must decrease in the Christian life. It's about Jesus. It's not simply about you and me. But here's what's happening in the church at Thyatira. Why did they implode? They weren't following Jesus closely. They were exalting personalities. They were exalting the past rather than exalting Jesus, the Son of God with eyes who was aware, but also who had feet like burnished bronze. He was the one they should have been lifting high and exalting, not personalities. If you and I are going to be strong as a church, we're going to serve well. We're going to make a difference. And we're going to push back darkness. And we're going to reach people and see people become disciples and grow in Christ. Then we need to follow Jesus closely. Number two, look forward courageously. As you look at this church, Jesus is going to have a conversation with them. And here's oftentimes what I find in churches. Many times churches get in serious trouble because they find themselves living in the past rather than seizing the present or looking to the future. When I was with the Kentucky Baptist Convention, I was in churches just about every day, and I could walk into churches, and I knew what the calendar said. The calendar probably said, you know, 2012, 2015, and those days in my life, and I could walk in, know what the calendar said. But when I walked into those churches, the sights and the smells were from like the 1960s. And what does that mean? Those churches were living in the past. And even for us today, I mean, the calendar is 2023. We're not many months from 2024, but if you walk in many churches, it's still like it was 1975 for them. And they have to realize the message of the church never changes. The gospel never changes. The word of God is true from beginning to end. We're to lift up Jesus, preach the gospel, share the word of God. Never changes. But sometimes methods will change if we're going to reach this generation and be faithful to see people come to Christ, follow him as disciples, and see God use them to make his glory known literally to the ends of the earth. Methods never change as methods will change. But what do we have to look forward courageously? Now, Jesus has some words to this church. He's going to say to them, I know your works, and he's going to compliment them. And they're, they're connected to each other. He says, I know your works, your love and faith, and service and patient endurance. So if you're a Bible student, you may want to know love and service go together. 
So when we love Jesus Christ, we love one another. We want to serve him and we want to serve one another. When you look at faith and you see faith and patient endurance, they go together. If you're going to walk by faith and not by sight, you're going to have to persevere and endure some hard days and hard situations in ministry. So he says, I know your works, your love and your faith, your service, your patient endurance. And then he says that your latter works exceed the first. What does he mean? You're doing more than you did at first. And that's a good thing. I want to encourage you, if you're going to serve Jesus, make sure you serve him out of heart of love. Make sure you also, when you look at it, not only it says love, but also this idea of faith. When you serve the Lord, he's not going to give you every detail at the moment. You're going to have to walk by faith and not by sight. So love him, walk by faith, and then serve him, and then endure because it's not always going to be easy. And then I challenge you, the more you grow in the Christian life, the longer you've been saved, your latter work should exceed what you did at first. And so serve him more. Spend more time with him and serve him more. I promise you in the life of this church, when I think about the membership of our church, and thank God for the members of this church, we need more people who are willing to step up and say, I'm looking forward courageously. Why? Because God has more in store for me to do. I guarantee you, in our preschool ministry, we need people to step up and serve. In our kids' ministry, we need people to step up and serve. In our student ministry, we need people to step up and serve. In our music ministry, we need people to step up and serve. In our prayer ministry, we need people who are willing to step up and serve. We need you to do more as Jesus leads you to do more. The church depends on you. And so he's complimenting this church. And so when you, when you look at this, I want to ask you two questions when you think about the church. What would Jesus say to our church? And what is our church known for in this community? Jesus giving us a beautiful description about the church here in Thyatira. Smallest maybe of the seven, but please understand, every size church matters to him. And the more you have the heart for Jesus, the more you have the heart for churches because he's speaking to churches. But what would Jesus say to our church and, and what would the community say about our church as well? I would imagine people in the community might say something like this. When I think about First Baptist Church, large facilities. And that's exactly right. We have a large campus, a lot of square footage on our campus. They may even talk about some of the painful days of the fellowship of the church. There'll be days when the church was on the mountaintop. There have been days when the church was in the valley. But God is faithful to this church and has been and will always be faithful to this church. No matter whether the church is on the mountaintop or in the valley, he is going to be faithful to this church. That's who God is. And so may look at that. They may even talk about it, and I hear this a lot as your pastor. I hear a lot of stories about former pastors of First Baptist Church. And I celebrate that. I go back and I look at the wall out there. I think about Reuben Ross, the first pastor of First Baptist Church. Thank God that he was willing to obey the leadership of Jesus. And I look back and see who I think looks like Abraham Lincoln out there on the board. It's Pastor A.D. Sears. And I think he was killed. He fell off the roof, I think, or the steeple and died in the church. And then I go back every single week in my ministry here. I hear stories about Dr. John Lida. And I hear them with a smile on my face because he was a godly man, godly servant in the fellowship of this church, highly respected in our community. I hear stories about Dr. Dennis Newkirk. Many of you say one of the greatest preachers that's ever stood in this pulpit was him. 
I hear stories about Dr. Roger Freeman, and he walked in back there just a moment ago. I think he's one of the greatest pastors this church has ever had in the history of this church. Loves Jesus and loves people with great compassion. You know, I, I think about uh, Brother Larry Riley. Brother Larry is pastoring, serving in another place, but a visionary leader. So when I look back and see these men, I thank God for these men. And many times we hear these stories, and I'm, I'm thrilled by hearing these stories. But what would people in our community say about First Baptist Church? Here's what I want to encourage us. Write these three things down about us. One, proclaim the word. 2 Timothy 4.2, Paul said to his young protege, Timothy, Timothy, preach the word. And second, reach the next generation. Psalm 71, verses 17 18, it's all about that, Lord. Now, I'm old and gray hairs now, but Lord, don't let me forsake reaching the next generation. It was a joy for me this morning to spend a little time in student ministry and talk about what God's doing in that generation, how we want to bless them and not burden them, and understand these buildings and facilities as we go forward as a church. We want to reach the next generation. Then number three, bring glory to God. Everything we do as a church, as we see in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, we should desire to do so for the glory of God. God. That's what he said. Whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And so here's what happens many times, though. The enemy will plant explosives when the church is not following Jesus as closely as the church needs to, but also when the church is more focused on the past than when the church is looking at the present or the future, it can oftentimes implode the fellowship of that church. Let me give you number three, select leaders carefully. We continue on in this, in this story here, in this text of God's Word, and now we're looking at leaders because churches make many decisions. I mean, we're going to make decisions about programs. We're going to make decisions about style. We're going to make decisions about leaders. But the challenge here, as we see in Revelation 2, the church in Thyatira, you need to be careful whom you select as leaders in the church. And let me give you an aside to that. As your senior pastor... I use great, great caution and try to use discernment and wisdom whom I invite to fill this pulpit in this church because I just would not allow anyone to come and stand in this pulpit. I want to make sure going to be somebody who loves Jesus, somebody who's going to love you, and somebody who is rightly going to divide the word of truth when they stand in this pulpit because we need to select leaders carefully. Here's what's going on in the life of this church. He goes on to say, he talks about all the things he knows. And then he says, but I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice secular immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Here's a couple words I want you to understand. This word sexual immorality is the word pornea, and it just means any sexual activity outside of the bonds of marriage. And you can fill in the blanks what those would mean. He says in this passage again, you tolerate, you tolerate that woman Jezebel. I don't think he's talking about Jezebel from the book of 1 Kings. I think he's talking about somebody with a Jezebel spirit in life, somebody with her qualities. He said, you tolerate that. What does that word mean? It just means that you know about her, you have allowed her to have the microphone, and you are doing nothing about it. That's what it means. Imploding the church. Because you've allowed somebody to have the microphone who's not faithful to me, not faithful to my word, who's misleading people, who has the wrong spirit, the wrong personality, and you are doing nothing about it as a church. They did not select leaders carefully. 
And why do we want to select leaders? Why do we need to confront certain situations? I'll give you two things. One, concern for the leader. Sometimes you want to call, and that's what Jesus is doing with this Jezebel lady. He's calling her to repent. You want to have this person to repent and be restored. You're doing that. Secondly is love for the church. I mean, you love the church, and so what are you doing? You want to make sure you're protecting the bride of Christ, the church, and so you're confronting these leaders. You need to make sure you are selecting leaders carefully. Here's a statement. I want you to fill these two blanks in. Churches that are healthy select leaders carefully. Churches that implode select leaders casually. You need to be careful about that. Leadership selection matters in the fellowship of the church. Let me give you an example. Pastor search committees. I have a great love for pastors. I have a great love for pastor search committees. And I look back on days when Ains and I were meeting with a pastor search committee from here, and we love those five individuals and their families. We get together periodically just to fellowship together, have a meal together. But I just want to make sure from their perspective that we're living up to everything that we promised in the search process. We promised you this. We said we would do this. We said we'd live this way. Are we living up to what we said we would do? I'm going to get their feedback on that. Pastor search committee. Here's oftentimes what happens in the pastor search committee process. Uh, we, we find ourselves receiving resumes. The church has a pastoral vacancy, so we need a senior pastor. So resumes are coming in. And so they're looking over resumes, 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 resumes. But here's what I promise you. You're not going to find somebody on a resume who says, I'm a habitual liar. You're not going to find somebody on a resume who says, you know, I'm lazy. I don't really want to work very much. Nobody on a resume is going to tell you about living an immoral lifestyle, but they send you a resume, so you're going to walk through that. You're going to narrow it down, probably look at a candidate, two candidates, maybe something like that. You're going to listen to sermons, all those things. may even travel to listen to somebody in person somewhere, so you're going to listen to a 30, 35, 40-minute sermon in some way, and then you're going to make a decision. Is this God's man for us, or are we going to move forward? I've seen many churches get it right. I've seen many churches get it wrong. But I want to say as your pastor, with sincerity for you, and again, I appreciate the work of the pastor search committee. They served the Lord with excellence, and, and they related well to us. But here's what I will say to you with transparency. The greatest sermon I'll ever preach to you will not come from this pulpit. The greatest sermon I'll ever preach for you as your pastor is how Angela and I live our lives day in and day out as we follow the leadership of Jesus. And a part of that will be preaching from here. But just living faithful to Christ, he must increase, I must decrease. Loving him, loving you, walking faithful, serving him, shepherding you, leading with vision for the glory of God and preaching God's word from beginning to end with character and integrity. Select leaders carefully. Look at number four, examine teachings consistently. Church in Thyatira was in trouble because they weren't following Jesus closely. They were in trouble because they were looking at the past rather than looking at the present or future. They were in trouble because they did not select leaders carefully. The wrong person had the attention of the people, and they did nothing about it. Number four, examine teachings consistently. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. When you come to church on Sundays, Wednesdays, you come to your connect group, you come to the worship service, I, I just invite you, I, I appeal to you. When you come, bring a copy of God's word with you to connect group and to the worship service. Bring a copy of God's word. Make sure your teacher is teaching the truth of God's word. 
Be like the Bereans. That's what they did. Make sure when I stand behind this pulpit or somebody else, make sure we're faithful to God's word. Make sure that we're living up to what God is calling us to do in his word. Bring a copy of God's word with you to the service, to your connect group. It's wise to do that. I don't really go anywhere unless I'm carrying a Bible with me. But, but bring a copy of God's word. Examine teachings consistently because here's what's happening in this text. I want to give you these three words here. He's going to talk to three different groups of people as we see here in the end. The first word is confused. He's going to talk to people who are confused. He's talking about, he's talking about her seducing people and teaching things that are wrong, the sexual morality, eat food sacrificed to idols. He said, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. He gave her time. When you see that, I gave her time to repent. That is the mercy, the patience, and the grace of Jesus in her life. Aren't you grateful for his grace, mercy, and patience with you and me in life? Thank God for his patience with us. He said, I gave her time to repent. And so when you look at that, yes, the sovereignty of God, but there's human responsibility in that. I gave her time to repent. Yes, the Lord was going to forgive her, but he was calling her to make a decision to repent of her sin. But here's what the truth was. He said, I gave her time to repent, but what? She said that she wouldn't do so. She refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. She is a confused lady. Look at the second Christians. He goes on to talk about, but to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, do you say, I do not lay on you any other burden? And so what is he saying? He's talking to those who are living faithful, following the footsteps of Jesus, conformed to the likeness of Christ. These are individuals who are little Christ, who are living like Jesus, lived his life. And the third word is conquerors. That's what he says in this text. And then he says, to the one who conquers, who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. I will give him the morning star. You say, what does that mean? If you follow him, you are more than a conqueror. He gives you authority because he has all authority. And then when he says, I give them what's called a morning star, who is it? That's Jesus. He's giving you himself. And you can be extremely active in the Christian life and not be intimate with him in, in the life as well. Make sure, again, that you're more than a conqueror. You're living faithful to him. You're living out of his authority. You're living as well the way he wants you to live. Why? That's who he's speaking to when it comes here to the church in Thyatira. Two things I want to give you here. He says here at the end, he, who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, we know, again, God's primary way of speaking to you and me is through the Bible. But he's still using other people, circumstances, prayer, and the Holy Spirit to speak into our lives. And I believe even this very day, on this Sunday, the Holy Spirit is speaking to people, and he's asking you to obey the leadership of Jesus in life. What is the Holy Spirit doing? The Holy Spirit speaking to people, you need to get saved today. Holy Spirit speaking to people, you need to follow Jesus in believer's baptism as quick as you can. Holy Spirit speaking to people, you need to surrender your life and move on to the mission field. Holy Spirit speaking into your life, you need to serve me more than you've been serving me in the last number of months or years. Holy Spirit speaking to people, you need to witness to somebody in your relational network who is lost without a relationship with Jesus. I want to use you to share the gospel with that person. Holy Spirit, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you in life? And then here's what I want to close with. How many today would be honest enough and to say, when you look at your life or you look at your marriage, you look at your family, you look at your friendships, 
honest enough to say the enemy is seeking to implode these relationships. How many be willing to do that? It takes courage to do that, but he's given you an opportunity to repent. He's given you an opportunity to change, to say, when I look at my life, it seems like it's imploding. When I look at my marriage, it seems like it's imploding. When I look at my family, it seems like it's imploding. When I look at friendships, it seems like it's imploding. When we look at us as a church, do we see any explosives the enemy is planting around so that he can implode the, implode the fellowship of this church? Any of those. Let's make sure we live out First John, or John chapter, First John chapter four. Let's make sure we live out greater is He who is in us than He who is in the world. Uh, we don't have to implode. We can have victory in Jesus when we surrender everything to Him. I want us to bow together here for a moment. We're going to pray together. In this room and those who are watching, literally around the world, I want to encourage you in your life. If your personal life is imploding, if your marriage is not functioning the way it needs to, if your family seems to be having some issues you can't seem to get past, or you've got friendships that are just being ripped apart, seek him, come to him, let him heal you, let him change your life. And if you don't know Christ, I want to encourage you, I invite you, surrender your life to Jesus today and come to him. He's the one who will change your life. He's speaking to the church in Thyatira, but he's speaking to you and me. We obey him. We surrender all. We say yes to him. We want you to come today. If you're watching online, wherever you may be around the world, you can respond to us on the platform you're watching on, and we would love to connect with you and have a conversation with you and help you walk faithful, victorious, and abundant in Christ. We'd love to do that. Now, Lord Jesus, thank you for being the Son of God. Thank you for eyes that know everything and thank you for feet that you desire holiness and righteousness. Thank you for speaking to this church at Thyatira. You were not finished with them. Even though the enemy was trying to implode that church, you weren't finished with them. Lord, the same is true in our lives, our marriages, families, relationships, even as a church. And Lord Jesus, I pray when we sing this song in just a moment, I surrender all, that it will not just be a song that we know and we sing. Lord, we'll live it out today. We'll surrender everything to you. And Lord, as the angels in heaven rejoice, we're going to rejoice here today because of changed lives, being obedient to you and following your leadership. So Lord Jesus, we surrender, we obey, we make much of you, and we respond to you in this invitation. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.